Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Runners World podcast with me, Rick Pearson. Me, Ben Hobson. And me, Jane Maguire. Today we're speaking with Professor Kim Wolfe, head of the Drug Control Centre at King's College London about doping control during the Commonwealth Games. <sighs> Sounds heavy. Yeah, wait, a weighty subject, yeah. An important one, though. Yeah, I think so. I think it's one that people worry about, isn't it? With with running, it's like, can I trust what I'm seeing, or what what is like, what what's the rigors that are going on around doping? So it's interesting to talk to her about actually what kind of involved um, process that is. It, it kind of resurrected a bit of faith for me actually in uh, in that process. I think there's, there's there's a general cynicism around athletics and high performance sport because of previous eras and that's all justified because people were cheating and it's but you can kind of get bogged down in thinking that that's a constant that doesn't evolve where in fact the way the measures that WADA and the sort of the governing bodies that relate to uh, doping control and stuff like that how they sort of then fit in with the actual test centers that and the all the people who are performing these tests and the sort of the, the evolution of the equipment and the standards and everything like that it, it's 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 good to revisit and actually have a refresher on what that looks like now in 2022 versus you know retrospective oh well it was always bad and da 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 da, da. yeah yeah exactly yeah exactly um hi jane you haven't spoken to you for a little bit How's your running? Um, yeah, it's okay actually. Got a marathon in in the autumn. Don't know which one, but I'll do some in. I'm not. In I'm not training, trying. You've... Yeah, as in. Wow, that's mysterious. I'm not trying it to is. be. I'm not trying to be. I'm really not. I'm I basically. Tune in next week to find tune out. Tune in next week. Yeah, <laughs> my running diary. Um, so I got got a place in London. Got in on the ballot for Chicago. And then New Balance have kindly said, do I want to run New York? But I don't know. I don't know which one I want to do. I just don't know if I'm over marathons. I don't know what I'm doing. But I've decided to just go ahead and train as if I was going to run a marathon. And if I decide, you know, I've got up to like the 12 mile mark. If I decide when I get to the 15 mile mark, it's not for me. It's not for me. Someone else can have those spots. Right. Do we, what are the dates for these marathons? Let's let's break this down. We're talking the second, right? My 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 calendar won't open. It's open. It's open. That was a tense moment. We're talking the second of October for London. Mm-hmm. 
the 9th for Chicago. A week later. But the flights the flights for Chicago was £700. So unless Runners World wants to pay for that, I'm probably out. And Good then luck. I think the... No comment. The 6th, I think, for New York of November. So you could do London. You could easily do London and New York. Easily. Yeah, this this has been said, and I've said no to that. No. <laughs> because that would be... I'm pretty that. sure you were planning to do... I'd be tempted by huh? New York, I reckon. Yeah, I think I'd be tempted by New York. If I was going to pick one, York, I reckon. I think New York. Because it's very hard to get in. Amazing city. Um, yeah. I also think New York would be the best for the joy plan. Yeah, it would. Wouldn't it? Okay, nice. It would be the best race to do the joy plan on and just run, walk, have a great time. Soak up all that yeah, the, positive vibes. Not saying London isn't, but I feel like London, I mean... We've done it. London's, yeah. And the fact that, you know, you two would be at London, wouldn't you? So I couldn't just run, walk past you. <laughs> Shit, like, you know, people are like... <laughs> just you know I mean? If we saw you going slow, I just... Jane, I saw you run in London last year and shouted at you so excessively with absolutely zero response. So I, I'm not doing that again. Tune you out, block you out. Yeah. <laughs> I've been hurt, been hurt yeah. before. I've learned to block you both out of my head <laughs> Once when I'm running. Once bitten, twice shy, I'm telling you, when it comes to cheering for Jane. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens there. But very exciting. An exciting time to be running. But how about you two? How's the running going? Ben, Ben's running loads. He's up to like, he's 100 mile a week in. Easily. I've seen, yeah, I've seen Ben on Strava. No, you did, did 11 miles I, the I other did. day. Yeah, yeah. Didn't yeah. you? I know. I've been, Look I, at you. Well, he's Ben's back. back. Let's not go that far. Ben's back hurts. <laughs> If that's a, um, no, I have been doing more running and some of it is creeping onto Strava again, which is fine. Um, but I do keep a lid on that a little bit just for my own sort of like... But are you joyfully running? Or are you running? Yeah, yeah. Oh, today I went for a run through some fields and it was joyful. It was lovely. The, sort of the wheat was out. It hasn't been cut yet. Everything was looking great. It's It was, yeah. I had a lovely joyful... Actually, I got a bit lost, which was nice because then you sort of have to find your way back and footpaths aren't always where they say they are on a map and all those sorts of things so it was that it was the sort of running I used to do when I was much younger and that was felt lovely and I saw some I did avoid a field full of cows which was good because <laughs> there was loads of them I think it's slightly unnerved by that situation but yeah apart from that it was great lovely what about you Rick? and Rick's been smashing out ludicrous pace which is going to be unnerving when we try and run a half marathon together <laughs> I've been I've been, been some return to form I think but um oh, I've been Wednesday back. nights Look now it's all right Wednesday nights Wednesday nights and your Tuesday night um and I'm doing a bit of um bit of fartlek stuff actually I think like anyone who's sort of got you know is going back into the speed work world I, I do think fartlek is a bit more of an easy sell than intervals it just feels a little bit more fun um and a bit more random uh, which i guess is the idea uh, and but i think you can get an equally good workout um so me and uh, me and george bull who I often bring up on this podcast he never listens but uh <laughs> george bull uh, will be out fartlecking around for about 50 minutes this evening if i could uh, give you see, a speed session i'd give you fartlek i'd give ben the track and then i'd give myself tempo i think that sums us up as individuals <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I love that. I, I, I think would, that's a fair. I'd go with that. Yeah. I'm not, I, I mean, the track is so alien to me, but I would probably, I do enjoy it. I need to do more of it. Do you know what I did the other day? Hills. I haven't done hills for a long time. They're good. Hell on earth, getting the bim. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> we, did, we, did, we did this poll, right? And I was like, of, of, the, of the kind of tougher sessions, like hills, tempo or intervals, like, what's your favourite? Our audience, hills. I was like, I would have put loads of money on that being the least favourite. Sadists. Just like, yeah, hills, like, Really? I thought that's one that everyone drops because it's just like, just, you know, the thought of it is really hard. 
I feel like you're really conquering something though. You are conquering something with a hill. True, yeah, true, true. You know, you get true. to the top of the hill. Like doing a lap of a track is, it's just sort of, it's it's a similar sort of feeling, but I feel like going up, up something, you're fighting, you're fighting gravity. That's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, it's a victory, isn't it? It's yeah, a victory. Yeah. Wow. Um. Anyway, anyway. All right, well, I think we should probably get our guest of the week on. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. Guest of the week. Sometimes on the phone Could be an athlete Could be a physio Or a complete unknown Our guest this week is Professor Kim Wolfe Head of the Drug Control Centre at King's College London The DCC is the UK's only World Anti-Doping Agency accredited lab And will work in partnership with UKAD The Commonwealth Games Federation and Birmingham 2022 To deliver a comprehensive anti-doping programme during the Games So, Professor Wolfe, welcome to the Runners World podcast Um, In the simplest of terms, can you explain what your role is uh, at the Commonwealth Games? Okay, well, thank you very much for inviting me along today. And the Drug Control Centre based at King's College London is responsible for testing the samples collected by the doping control officers at the Games. And we test them against the WADA prohibited list. We were just talking before this started officially, but we're sort of these protocols that come into play and... um... Uh, the sort of substances that people are looking for and, and all these sorts of things. Um, I mean, I know that the the DCC that, that at King's College London is the only one that meets all these standardised parts of WADA and, and other governing bodies. Um, how, how ever evolving is that? How continuous is the change in the list and, and what you guys are looking for? Well, it is ever invo- evolving. So there is a monitoring list that's um, published that... Um, WADA publishes so that there are substances monitored before they get onto the prohibited list. And then there is consultation on the prohibited list and it's published um, on a, a yearly basis. So that it's always being updated to reflect the ever-changing nature of, of the use of um, banned substances, I guess. In terms of how rigorous the testing is um, at the Commonwealth Games, I mean, is every athlete tested and how often how, like how does it what's the kind of frequency like okay well the testing program really is down to the commonwealth games federation and so as the testing lab we don't have any say or any um, knowledge of what that planned might be so we just get the samples um, to the laboratory from the games and we don't know the individuals that are being tested we only have a barcode so everything from our end is very independent of the collection of the sample end so that we just test all the samples um, in an anonymized fashion. So we're, we, we're protecting the athlete in that sense, really, and, and giving the process some integrity. That's really interesting. I guess when athletes turn around and say the test was incorrect, you have no control then. You don't know whose test you're testing. No, we don't have any idea of the individual um who the sample belongs to but obviously there's a chain of custody form so at the collection site the athlete will pick um, a bottle in which to um, provide their their urine or their blood sample and then they will sign to say that they've they're happy with the process and that form follows um, leaves them and then travels with 
the courier or whoever is bringing the samples to the laboratory and then we sign that to say that we've received the sample so it's the paper trail that goes with the laboratory or sorry with the sample that provides the chain of custody to ensure that the sample that's taken is received um, safely at the laboratory while the games are taking place are you set to be testing sort of daily is it is it a constant thing yes so we're um during the games we're obviously open um longer hours than we would normally be open and we're open during weekends because events are going on over the weekend so we provide a a daily service for the commonwealth games and any sports federations that are at the games who want to um have a sample analyzed so yeah we're we're open for the receipt of samples every day how sophisticated has testing become kim because i think a lot of people worry that um the dopers are always one step ahead and 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 we've seen with films like icarus the kind of extent to which um people and whole countries will go to in terms of trying to um, outsmart uh, people trying to catch them. What kind of confidence do you think we can have with how sophisticated testing has become? Well, I, I think uh, testing is hugely sophisticated. Um, we we um, obviously have to cover the range of prohibited samples and there are several different drug classes that we cover in that and the instruments that we use i i tend to say are a bit like formula one um cars really they're they're highly sophisticated they are able to detect drugs at very very low concentrations and the breakdown products of those drugs in in urine so um these days we're we identify what's known as long-term metabolites which means that we can look to a, a over a longer period of time to see whether doping has taken place over a, a wider period of time so um i it's become a very sophisticated um process and we're we're trying to identify people who are involved themselves in a very sophisticated process so it's it is complicated but i i think the methodology is is up to the job certainly in that we can we can identify very low concentrations of different substances and it's been likened to identifying a single drop of water within an olympic sized swimming pool so that gives you an idea of how sophisticated our our instruments are can i ask how does it work so if an athlete's doing a race on a on a Saturday and they give you a sample on the Friday, all fine. You get another sample Saturday morning and it's not fine. Does that athlete race? How quick is it? Like, do they, or do, do their results just get kind of put in the bin afterwards? Like if there is, if there is doping, do you mean how quick <laughs> yeah. do you pull them off the track? <laughs> if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Uh, well, it, it depends because there are different types of testing programs. So the standard WADA testing program enables the laboratory to deliver the results in 20 days. When we're running um, testing for an event like the Commonwealth Games, then testing is much, much quicker and we have fast throughput. So you also have in-competition testing and out-of-competition testing. And usually the idea is to get the results to the um, Sports Federation before the athlete competes or takes, takes part again. So that's... That's the idea. So the idea is ideally that the athlete isn't allowed to compete when there is a positive test in the in the process somewhere. Typically within these high performance sports, there's always a sort of sense of cynicism around it, particularly. I mean, if, if myself being a cycling fan, there's a whole era of cycling, which is sort of like treated with great suspicion. Um, but, you know, off the back of that, there's things like a biological passport and things like those sorts of aspects. Is that still a relevant aspect of how this testing carries on is this is you know is it building a bigger picture of how someone's behaving on a day-to-day basis rather than just like momentary samples from an event yes i i think the longitudinal testing for the athlete biological pa- passport is very very important and um it, it enables as you say to us to or the sports federation to look at an athlete and again we 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 don't know the identity of those athletes but to look at an athlete over time. And obviously, if you have an idea of a baseline um, sample or a baseline record of the athlete's results, then if there is something that sits outside of that baseline, then you can identify that much more easily than if you were just taking a single one-off sample. So it's it's a very useful tool to monitor um, individuals. We know that certain drugs are are kind of obviously giving an advantage uh, steroids probably being the, the most obvious one but there, there is an emergence of other sort of recreational drugs that are coming into i think ultra running but possibly also uh, elite athletics something like cannabis um and it's on the banned list although the performance enhancing aspect isn't clear really um i would say do you see that the, the kind of wider banned list is something that could be could evolve and actually some, some of the things that are currently banned 
may may no longer be banned or, or vice versa is it is it kind of you know is there that flexibility there I think there definitely is scrutiny of what's on the list and um, WADA produces regular reports of the substances that have been detected in athletes. Um, and as far as I'm aware, there there is the ability to remove things from the list or add them to the list as, as they see fit. So I think it is, it is a pro, an ongoing process. It's not fixed in stone, certainly. And as you say, um, there are drugs coming onto the the market or drugs being used in ever in sophisticated ways that may be clinically useful for one thing but used in an anti-doping sense um, for another so it, it is a complicated picture and um, I think that there is always scrutiny to see if if we can improve the prohibited list in, in terms of of making sure that we cover the whole spectrum of events. I mean, as as these things evolve, is there sort of a uh, a, a substance or a, a stimulant of of choice that the, 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 the over the years that you sort of like becomes the thing that you find you're testing for more regularly, or certainly seeing results for more often? Is is it does it does it ebb and flow like that, or does it is it just across the board? You're either positive or you're not. Um. Well, I I think again, I probably need to refer you to the WADA publications because they they do by country and they do. Um, a global report on which drugs are, are most common. Uh, you've mentioned the anabolic steroids, and they're, they're certainly um, drugs that are, I think are commonly seen across anti-doping anti laboratories. Obviously, doping is wrong. I'm not saying doping isn't wrong, but do you think there's like an emotional part of this for you? Because I know you don't know who those athletes are, but when you get a test and it comes back positive, do you think, oh, God, career's over like do you mean that's an is it like an is it a hard thing to deal with when it comes through and it is positive and you know someone's career is gonna suffer i think the anxiety from our point of view is that we've done everything in our power to make sure the analysis is correct and there isn't any um errors anywhere and that we've doubly checked the data and everything that's been possible has been done by the laboratory to ensure that the result that we're reporting is the correct result according to the urine sample that we that we receive so i think the anxiety is around making just making sure that that is correct because i, I think it would be awful if if i re, you know if there was a sample that was reported that that wasn't um a correct result so I think that's where our anxiety lies in making sure that we do everything possible to confirm that the results that we've got are the right ones. One of the one of the interesting aspects is it seems to be that some people can uh, can be banned, kind of, or, or these revelations can come out after their career is over. I think Lance Armstrong was an example of that. From from your perspective, how does that work? Do these do these tests stay on file, and, and can you? Can you be told you need to go back into those tests and have a closer look at, at those samples? We don't keep that data. So everything that we do is anonymized and it's reported onto something called ADAMS, which is the WADA results um, platform. So any of the information that's historical is retained by the Sports Federation um, and they manage the athletes. And the UK anti-doping in this country will will manage with them any um, adverse findings that they get. So the laboratory just does the analytical 
stuff and we report the results um and that really is is where our our involvement comes to an end we obviously have to re- do a report on the results if there are positive cases but we don't get involved in um the repercussions for the athlete or not when the results come out oh it's fascinating and on, on that testing process itself that you, you that you go through just to give an idea of how many times a, a, a sample is tested or just sort of like how often it's how many different as you said different uh standards it has to meet but i mean how, how long does a, a test take um well it depends which type of test but um the there are several different screens that the sample has to go through um, to cover all the drugs on the prohibited list. And we have urine samples and blood samples. Um, so I think as a, we have an A bottle and a B bottle, which I presume you will know about. So the, the sample testing is always done on the A bottle and then the, anything so aliquots are taken out of the A bottle for testing and the screening process. And then if we find a substance that is banned, we have to confirm that. So so um, there will be two, two lots of aliquots in, in that case. Um, and anything that's spare from the A sample is stored frozen and the B, alongside the B sample so that if the confirmation is found to be a banned substance and we've confirmed that, then the athlete can then come or a representative usually come to the laboratory to observe the B sample analysis and then we will repeat the whole process again in the B sample to demonstrate um, that the confirmation was a, a valid finding. Wow. Wow, that must be tense. <laughs> come back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how how do you build in? I mean, Rick previously mentioned Icarus, and I mean, if anyone hasn't seen the movie, it's sort of a revelationary thing about how Russian state was involved in uh, a very sophisticated way of getting around doping control and all those sorts of things. I mean, I, how how do you, I mean? You know, you said a, like a courier would deliver a sample to you. I mean, the checks beforehand. If the, if there's any, everything sealed. Uh, you know, if there's something, if there's anything slightly untoward with a package, you know, then that sample has to be destroyed. I guess these are all the things you're not just the testing. Yes. Yeah, so it's it's a very um, it's a very controlled process. So the athlete will be notified that they have been selected for doping. They go to a special doping control station. If it's an event like the Commonwealth Games, um, they provide a sample that's witnessed and the sample will then be there. there um, the sample is provided in um, tamper-proof bottles and then those are sealed and then they have the paperwork with them, which is the chain of custody. And that is then couriered to a laboratory. And once it gets there, we check that everything that is on the form agrees with everything that's on the bottle. So there will be code numbers for the bottle that are on the paperwork and on the bottle. We confirm all of that. We then book it in and there will be, then once we've got the sample, we then contact the testing agency and say, um, can you confirm the tests that are being taken, uh, that are required on this sample? And they provide us with that information and that's all um 
booked in and the sample is then registered. So there are several checks going along the way. And if there are any anomalies, as we call them, if the code is wrong or if there's a digit missing or if the sample has broken or if the seal has broken on the sample or if there's only an A bottle instead of an A, any, anything that's untoward, as you say, we, we immediately um, stop the analysis, well, we don't start the analysis process and we contact the testing agency and seek their advice. And it's only once we've got their advice that we proceed. So there are checks all the way through. It's a lot of, it's a lot of, it's very rigorous, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it really is. <clears throat> I was going to say, have there been any great leaps forward since you've, your involvement in this whole thing? Has there been a one bit of tech or one testing procedure that has been a sort of absolute sort of game changer in, in, in the way that you guys can work? Uh, well, there there are always technological advances because we're always looking to make the analysis shorter or better or or more comprehensive. Um, I think, and again, WADA is very much looking, and the anti-doping field is looking at alternative ways of collect or alternative types of samples. So, urine is great, but obviously, it's in quite invasive in that the person has to be observed producing that sample. Um, so where WADA is looking at and actually used what's known as dry blood spots, um, they were piloted at the Beijing Olympics, and that's just a, a finger prick sample, which theoretically means it's a much shorter sample collection time. It, it's a much smaller amount of biological sample um, so there's always that type of innovation of, of how can we make this process um, easier on the athlete, um, easier in, in terms of proce sample processing, and analytically what can we do to get the sample analysed and the results reported as quickly as we can. So there, there's always that kind of work ongoing, and at the moment I think dried blood spots are the sample that's being piloted in terms of how that could fit into the anti-doping um, spectrum of biological fluids that we use at the moment. Is it more accurate? Is blood more accurate than urine or is it no, no, no difference? Well, blood is, blood gives you a, a more of here and now type of um, information because it, it's a your, your blood is is um, flowing around your body. So it tells you what's going on in the body here and now. A urine sample is a slightly longer window. It tells you what the body has used in the last few days or so because it's an elimination sample. So there's a, a, a bit of difference in, in terms of those two samples. But I, I don't think dry blood spots would replace um, urine. It would just be perhaps as as an adjunct, if if you wanted to collect more more samples in a short period of time, then you could use dry blood spots, for instance. When you have a, an athlete who's been allowed to take a perhaps use an inhaler for an asthma or those sorts of things, and and they are you informed beforehand? No, because you know, it's anomalous, isn't it? So you wouldn't have an idea. So you might turn return a positive for a steroid in, in an inhaler, but actually it's already been signed off that that's okay. Yeah, so there's something called therapeutic use exemptions. So if we identify 
a substance like that, then the then we can ask if there is a therapeutic um, use exemption. So obviously there are some products like you've just said, um, drugs within um, asthma inhalers, which are also banned. So if if we detect a substance like that, then we will ask the testing authority if there is a therapeutic use exemption in place, um, and then they will they will guide us as to whether we should report that or or not as a uh, as a suspicious finding. The psychology of cheating. I mean, where do we even start? I guess that's not your like that. Like none of us can really understand. Do you do you think kind of have an opinion over doing this job for so long? you know, why people do it? Do you think athletes do it because they, they're coaches or because they think other people are doing it? Do you kind of have an insight into why you think people don't? Well, I was I was actually at a presentation for in Tokyo before the um, Tokyo Olympics and uh, there was a presentation from an athlete who'd been caught and banned for doping and it was quite interesting to listen to him really and... Um, you find that it's not just, they're not isolated. There's usually a team of people around them who are supporting that um, process of using banned substances. And it, so it, they're not individuals on their own thinking, I'm going to cheat. It's, it's much more that it's a sophisticated event of which they're one part, probably the important part if they're the, the talented athlete. Um, and being a very talented and very successful athlete comes with it fame, recognition, financial benefits, which just, again, isn't necessarily linked to them alone, but to their family. Um, and so it's a very, comp- I think it's a very complicated area to get into. And, I, you know, I don't think anybody sets out at the beginning of their career as a promising sports person to think I'm going to be a cheat. They want to be the best they can. And it's so I think they're part of a process, but I, I don't think we should necessarily put all the the blame and certainly not assume that they're in it alone because you quite often find, and as the case with the Russian um case which has been sort of widely publicized it wasn't just the athletes involved there was a there was a systematic if you know a systematic process for enabling doping to take place and um, the athletes were one small part of that and I think that that's what I would say is a problem when trying to identify the psychology of cheating because it it's it's not just a single person that's involved in that process. Your professional background is within addiction. So it, it, do you think that comes into any of this? Do you think sort of it, none of these substances are technically addictive, correct? But is there a sort of a physical addiction and then a mental addiction with any of these sorts of things? I think that's a, it's a really complicated yeah. <laughs> question. I, I think I'd be more comfortable answering that in terms of illicit substances right. because you can, you can see that... Um, you become used to using different substances and and you can think about that in in terms of steroids you know there are people who who become um habitual users of steroids and dependent on steroids um again it's if you think of addiction as a habit forming 
process, then if you're using a drug that's gaining you a benefit, even if it's not physically dependent forming, there there may be that psychological boost that you get from winning, which is associated with that the compound that you're using. And in that sense, it becomes habitual. And so you become addicted to that process, um, if that makes sense. So I think it's it's very interesting and obviously quite difficult to research because you you can't recruit cheaters and say, well, let's talk to you about this process and see if we can understand your the reason for your behavior and, until usually um, much later down the line if they've been caught and they talk about it. But it's it's a fascinating area and certainly not a simple a simple one, I think. A lot. Is there any, is there anything in any any area of this that you we haven't covered? You think that you'd like to like to talk about? Um, well, I think I'd like to finish on a positive note, actually. Um, and I think the vast majority of people that you know take part in elite sport are not drug users, and they don't use substances. And and I I think we should shout out for them, and also you know how well they do, and that. That's the health and well-being of of people who undertake sport, and particularly our our elite athletes, is is something that we we should be concerned about. And I think the majority of people are there at the top of their game because they are exceptional athletes. And I think we should always bear that in mind. Really, hundred percent. Absolutely, um, Professor Wolf. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been fascinating. Um, it's answered many of my questions, which I just didn't know the answer to anyway. So hopefully, it's done the same for everyone else. Good. Well, I hope there's been some reassurances there that we do try and look after our the samples we receive and treat them with the utmost respect and always analyse them effectively. So that brings us to the end of this week's Runners World podcast. A huge thanks to our guest, Kim Wolf, and to you, of course, for listening. You can subscribe to three issues of Runners World for just £5. Head over to hearstmagazines.co.uk slash Podcast to get this exclusive listener offer. And you can listen to the Runners World UK podcast on Acast, iTunes, all your favourite podcast apps. Just search Runners World UK and please do subscribe. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again next week. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.